about to start. Recovery Radio, where we discuss substance abuse treatment and recovery. You can listen live at blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG radio. Please note that the views and opinions of our hosts and guests are not necessarily the views of OCG, nor is it meant to replace professional advice or the advice of your physician. And now, here's our show, Roach on Recovery, with your host, Orville Roach. Oh, good afternoon, everybody. Good afternoon, folks. Uh, you know the time. I'm here. Oh, okay. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. Oh, my goodness. You know, listen, before our beloved host well, well, goes we'll off co- the bash I'll cover it. Talk promise radio, I'll cover it. I'll, let me, I'll, let me tell you. I'll <laughs> come clean. Right I promise. Now, <laughs> we had everything working as perfectly as it has ever gone, and one minute before the show starts, the host wants to start messing around with buttons, and all of a sudden we couldn't hear each other. Unbelievable. What is going on, Mr. Host? Uh, it's, it looks like we got everything back on track here. What's the good word? Welcome to Roach and Recovery. <laughs> there it is right there. There it is right there. Uh we might as well we're gonna get we're gonna get right in. So it's been a while, Mr. Producer, since the news has been dominated by our mainland being hit by a hurricane. Hurricane Harvey. How did they come up with these names, by the way? Uh, I do know that, and the only thing I know is that they go in alphabetical order. So really? the 
Yeah, exactly. So the next hurricane, we see you have G-H-I. The next one will start with an I. As far as the actual name that they select, I'm not sure of that, but I do know that they go in alphabetical order. Or that's at least what I've heard. I shouldn't say I know. That's just what I've heard. All right. Well, uh, th- throw your name out there. Throw your name out. <laughs> yeah, what right. What do you think it'll be? I'll, I'll go with uh, Hurricane Isabella. Hurricane Isabella, huh? Um, boy, I, that's a, I, I, you know, I want an aggressive name for a hurricane, if we're being honest. Maybe Hurricane Igor, huh? That sounds kind of rough and rugged. All right. And we're not wishing hurricanes upon anyone. No, of we're course just, not. No. We're just, we're just participating in the name game. That's it. But that's it. Obviously, our thoughts and prayers go out to all those folks in Texas dealing with the, the the torrential rains and the floods and all of that stuff that has come long before you and I, sir, were born and uh, hurricanes on a almost routine basis came in through that Gulf of Mexico and, and, and either hit, you know, that Southern part of Texas and those other Gulf states and whatnot. You know, this is not new. There's an old saying, there's nothing new under the sun, and this is certainly not new. Um, if you look back just in the 20th century, you know, 40s, 50s, and 60s and whatnot, um, they've been hit by some pretty big storms coming off that uh, that Gulf of Mexico. So, and it's usually the same deal. You know, you know it's interesting how some areas, when there's a hurricane, and by the way, I actually, I've been through... Two direct hits, once in huh. New York, which is which is rare for a hurricane to make it that far up northeast coast and still have a, some umph to it because the waters get colder as you go further up north, obviously, and so they lose power. Um, but then also on my um, my honeymoon, post marriage honeymoon, which occurred in 2005, so we went on the honeymoon 15 years after the fact, and we went to Jamaica, and that was during Hurricane Dennis. When Hurricane Dennis skirt, luckily skirted by, so we didn't catch the full force of the hurricane in Jamaica, but we got the rain and wind and all that stuff. Okay. Um, but something positive came out of that. Don't let me forget to tell you what that positive thing was. But, um, yeah, so this is, you know, for us, our generation who uh, – well, let me just finish my previous thought. So some areas get hit by a hurricane and it's just, you know – the, the the water damage, the flooding, others, it's, you know, wind um, and whatnot. So pick your poison, ultimately. But hopefully they will, uh, and this one did something weird. It went in and circled. It's like I told my sister, it was like a car running you over and then reversing and come back and running you over again. The way this right, storm went. Right, right, right. Um, hopefully they'll get some... Uh, it'll kind of start to peter out and they'll get some day, you know, some, some sunlight and get an opportunity to dig out from underneath this with help, of course. So I just wanted to briefly touch on that, but back to my hurricane Dennis experience in, on the Island of Jamaica. Okay. We were supposed to leave our, all, most, all of, most of the resorts, if not all of them are located on the North coast of Jamaica, Kingston, where I'm from, where I was born, my family lives, relatives live, are mostly are on the south coast. Um, 
my father was born in St. Elizabeth, which is on the North Coast. And so we were planning to visit my aunt in St. Elizabeth and then head to Kingston. But because of the hurricane, many roads were washed away or flooded. Wow, okay. However, we were fortunate enough that the hotel hooked us up with a local driver who took us through routes unseen by man um, <laughs> to, you know, to get to St. Elizabeth, where my aunt was, which is still up in the North Coast, okay? Right. And um, it was a blessing. The reason I say it was a blessing is because because he had to go through routes unseen. As a person who was born there, I would have never, I think, in my lifetime seen that part of the country. Oh, wow. Wow. And seen with my own eyes what real poverty looks like. Huh. And so as we were driving along through all of these towns, which you might see on the map, but most people that come to you know go to Jamaica, whether you're from there or not, they're you know either landing in Montego Bay and staying in the resorts, and or landing in Kingston because that's where you know most of the population is. The sure. North Coast is pretty much the countryside, and so being forced to not take the main road from Montego Bay to Kingston and having to go a, a, a different route and go through the countryside and all those towns up there was an eye-opening experience for me. And it was like, it was a blessing because I've never seen it in my life. I've never been there. And, you know, my wife and I just couldn't believe it. And we were so thankful to this driver because, you know, he just did a great job just, somehow finding his way around the flooding and whatnot and uh getting us safely to my aunt's house in Kingston. Um but that sure. was that was, you know, like a life changing experience for us. Um, cause, so whenever I hear some people, you know, someone talk about poverty, um and I know there's parts of this country where I haven't visited but I've been told by people who have or who have relatives that come from there that there are parts of this country that have that type of poverty. But unless you've seen that, you know, if you're if you're living in an urban area and you got a car and air conditioning and cable and 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 cell phone and, and all of these creature comforts that we take for granted, you don't know poverty. Yeah, yeah, true enough. That I completely agree with that. Uh, was there anything that you saw that shocked you or? Uh, you know, did you maybe expect it even though you hadn't seen it? No, I had no expectation of this because, again, in Kingston, you know, there's poverty, but it's it's like you would see poverty if you went to a poor urban area. You know, you okay. you know that you know that the area is poor, but people are still people are still driving cars. People are still, you know, are still dressed. OK, you know, and so on and so forth. Here we saw people in bare feet, people in tattered clothing. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And yeah. it was it reminded me of something Muhammad Ali said when he had visited when he went to Zaire for the uh, the Rumble in the Jungle against George Foreman, and how the people there were very poor, poverty stricken, but they had a dignity in their poverty, and it was the same feeling that I got that. They, everybody was poor, so there there was no, you know, class 
existence there. It was everybody was in the same situation, and so there, as, as because of that, there existed a dignity. So even though they were in their bare feet and tattered clothes, to them, there was no shame in that. Whereas I think if you went into the big city of Kingston, just like if you went into the big city of New York, you know, and, and other big cities. People would do everything they can to not be seen in, without shoes on their feet or, t- you know, in, or with tattered clothes on their back. And I don't know if tattered is a word, by the way, <laughs> but that's the only description yeah, uh, I can come up with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You paint the picture well. I think we get it. Yeah. Wow. That's interesting. Yeah. So uh, that's that on hurricanes. Let's move to blog talk, if you don't mind. Well, yeah, let's do it. Oh, and just uh well yeah, actually we can get into something next. Let's go into the blog talk. Let's do it. So I want to quickly read the exchange that I had with Blog Talk regarding our issues that we suffered for the last three shows. And in danger of putting the whammy on it and having the same thing happen in this show, I'm still gonna go ahead and read the exchange. So right after our last show was on August 15th, and right after the show, I sent this email at 6.05, so five minutes after the show ended. I said, our last three shows, I've been disconnected from the Direct Connect mid-show. Eventually, an error message pops up that says, network error. Then about five minutes later, another screen pops up that says, you've been disconnected from an active show. Would you like to continue? I click yes. The Direct Connect box reappears on the studio, and I proceed through the connection process. It does not disconnect anymore for the remainder of the show. And it seems to happen at about the same time, time frame, between 20 and 30 minutes into the show. Any idea what's going on? So I get a response. Hi, Orville. We're very sorry for the troubles you are experiencing with a direct connect. We are currently experiencing a, a compatibility issue with the Chrome browser. Our engineers are working on a resolution. In the meantime, it is recommended to use Firefox when using Direct Connect to host your show. Our apologies for any inconvenience this may be causing. Now, Mr. Producer, you know me very well. I do indeed. You know the the only browser I ever use is Firefox. Right. So as I read this message... (laughs) You know, a little bit of smoke started coming out my ears. <laughs> so here's my response. And I always like to number my things. So I said, one, I have never used Chrome, don't have it on my system. I only use Firefox. In their response after that first paragraph, they then listed like 175 things I should make sure aren't wrong, like my my equipment and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Right, Trying right. To know. The same equipment you know, we've been using it, for two years it, plus. Well, here, here's my response. So I said, uh, two, there are no ancillary equipment issues. Direct Connect had problems in early and mid-2015. We stopped using it and used the Skype option. You remember that, Mr. Producer? We went to Skype. I do. Yes, sir. Blog Talk then developed issues with Skype. I don't even see the Skype option anymore. We switched back to using Direct Connect and have had no problems for the last 18 months. All of a sudden, since July, it's kicking, kicking me off each show, as I stated, after about the 20 to 30 minute mark. The guests remain connected and can continue, but 
I cannot continue until the window pops up giving me the option to continue the show. So I then get a response from them. Hi, Orville. We've experienced an issue with the service Blog Talk uses to connect with the Direct Connect solution. (laughs) This has been resolved. Please let us know if you still experience troubles, and we'll be glad to help. Our apologies for any inconvenience this has caused. Regards, Sherry. So, as I said at at the start, at the risk of putting the whammy on it, (laughs) this show, we will find out if they have solved our particular problem. So, if I go dark, and none of our listeners... And you, Mr. Producer, all of a sudden, don't hear me. You know what's happened. Yeah. All right. But it, it reminded before you, you know, before you blow my cover on what actually transpired before this show. It remi- as I was thinking about this before we went live. Um. It reminded me of, you know, being pilots. When stuff happens, you know, we're not panicking. Still trying to fly the plane, but same time, you know, uh, figure out what's going on behind the scenes. And hopefully, you know, our listeners are understanding and patient and know that it's not us. But go ahead, sir. Uh, No, are you done with blog talk? All I was going to add briefly was that um, it was kind of cool. We actually had a a figure in the NFL who's a head kind of a main person, main player on the Houston uh, Texans who started a fund. I don't know if you heard about this. Uh, Mr. J.J. Watt uh, mm-hmm. started a fund through social media. He just went on his Facebook and said the people in Houston need help. And I think within a day of him, um, you know, opening up this fund through social media, uh, the fund had already surpassed a million dollars. So interesting to see. What you know, big time figures, especially figures in that area, can um, can conjure up because of their following. So you know, I only imagine you know James Harden might want to do the same thing or whatever. And you know, these these figures in Houston that are that are Houston, but right. Well, uh, but that that's a perfect segue into. Uh, I, I, Boom. Just like that. It's been a while since we've heard that noise and have it have bear any kind of significance like with the regular season a sniff away. 11 days, 12 days. Yeah, you know, I bl- the season 11 days. starts on that Thursday, right? Okay, so that's about 9 days. Yeah, I want to say uh, the seventh, right? They always do this now, which is interesting to me or curious to me, but uh, they will always start on Thursday the seventh, and that is the Patriots. The Patriots are going to be kicking us off, uh, and then that weekend will, you know, be the uh, the opening weekend. Is is it the usual thing? The two Super Bowl teams play each other, or no? 
You know what? You might be right. I do know that the Patriots are on tap, so uh, I'm not sure who their opponent is. That might be worthy looking into. If it is Atlanta, then maybe that's the deal. All right. We'll find out. Yeah, I I don't have any. Okay. I don't have any uh, comments uh, regarding uh, my football teams for the simple reason that this year the NFL decided to do something different by not having the cuts happen until like what is it like the day before or the Saturday before the season starts something they like do that one, yeah. one big cut instead of gradually working your way down to 53 players so right now it's still a hodgepodge mess of uh you know guys you never heard of and and whatnot right fighting right for, fighting for four or five scraps at the at the bottom of the table <laughs> That's right. Uh, no, it is not. A, it's the Chiefs and the Patriots that will be oh, kicking okay. us off uh, Thursday, September 7th. Um, but, yeah, I was going to ask, I mean, uh, nothing to report out of your camp. I mean, anything major as far – I mean, we know the Ezekiel Elliott suspension, but anything as far as, like, injuries or that sort? Just uh, our, for the Cowboys, our middle linebacker um, out eight weeks with a broken – tibula or something like that but so huh. far other than that no none of the dreaded training camp season ending injuries okay for the jets okay. giants or uh or cowboys have you guys yeah, signed your your draft pick yet has he come into camp solomon whatever his name is oh yeah he he signed the the day after he was eligible uh back in july late july okay um yeah, so, uh, yeah, I guess that's what uh, the old adage, right? If you've been a fan long enough, uh, the only thing that is good that comes out of training camp in the preseason are no season-ending injuries. No injuries. That's it. That's it. So we're both uh, we're both in that boat. Uh, well, the 49ers actually did have a season-ending injury to Malcolm Smith, the, the player, the linebacker they gave a five-year contract to in the offseason. Um, but that might have been – I mean, you don't want to say, you know, that there's any kind of silver lining to an injury of that magnitude. But Reuben Foster, the, the one that everyone is so high on coming out of the draft, was, you know, Malcolm Smith and he played the same position. So the, the thinking was to slowly transition the rookie in behind Malcolm Smith throughout the season. But now that injury has forced him into a starting role and he looks uh, to be more than ready. So... We'll, okay. we'll see about that. But outside of that, no, nothing major. All right. I still got a couple of news items that I want to cover before we hit our topic. Okay. One, Let's bring them. Uh, one was um, this past Saturday was National Dog Day. Okay. And um, and in honor of National Dog Day, I went. My wife and I went to for the to a dog park in San Francisco by the beach which people have been telling us about for the last four years. Um, and we finally went down there and um, absolutely, absolutely loved it. Absolutely loved it. Um, she was very anxious. Uh, so for people who don't know, I, I own a, um, a Rhodesian Ridgeback. And this particular one, my first one and my second one, this is my second one, are in terms of how they are are just worlds apart. This one is more on the wild, wild, the wild beast <laughs> side. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, and uh, so required, you know, uh, uh, not a heavy hand, but a firm, strong hand uh, and to know who the alpha is, so to speak. Yeah, um, sure. Okay. So one of the things and they run free on the on the beach. So one of the things she was concerned about is whether or not she was just going to run off or or or. <laughs> Or, or worse for her, like run into the water and get caught in a riptide or something. I'm like, right. no, that's not going to happen. And of course, she, what, uh, when, you know, when, when a dog is off leash with you, yeah. the only thing you want to see is that no matter how far they go 10 feet, 20 feet, 30 feet, 50 feet that the dog looks back at you. Yeah. And that, and that when you decide to call it, that the dog comes. Sure. And so, when we got there, one of the things she was doing was she kept as Sheba would go maybe 10, 15 feet away and she'd call her back and I'd say, don't call her anymore. Only call her if you have to call her. Um, and all we got to, all you got to look at is that when she walks away, does she look back? If she looks back, that means she knows who her masters are and that she wants to maintain eye contact with you. Right. And that's all you need. Um, and she absolutely loved it, loved running on the sand. And so we're going back again this Sunday. And um, so that's that on National Dog Day. All right, beautiful. I assume uh, she was treated to a medium rare ribeye for dinner as well, or? No, she was treated to her regular <laughs> diet. Um, <laughs> but she was. Uh, Tired uh, as a as a lump on a log on the ride home. Normally she's standing, you know, of course in the back of our our yeah. SUV the way it is and looking out the back window. But she got in and once we hit the road, she lied down and we didn't hear from her here peep until <laughs> we got there, you know, around the way. Excellent. Um, the other thing that Saturday was was uh, Women's Equality Day, and other than the obvious of what that stands for, I think it also calls for us to go back into the archives and play this clip. Oh, no. <laughs> Here we go. I already know. I can't remember it, but I already know something's coming. Play you this clip. In a bad spot. <laughs> that, uh, you know, Mr. Producer was expounding on. I think <laughs> I think our, our listeners need to refresh their memory and hear this in honor of Women's Equality Day. So let's it play. It would be different in this context for a female client mm-hmm. because, again, and I'm speaking generally, but for the most part, females are very in touch with their emotions. In fact, they usually lead with their emotions. And so I may want to speak to a female resident about that bridge that we spoke about. Mm-hmm. God, I'm going to get in trouble tonight. <laughs> but that... uh where we we have an emotion, we're overwhelmed with an emotion, and we have like a bridge. Was that the end of the clip? Down goes Fraser! Down goes Fraser! Down goes Fraser! Uh, unbelievable, man. We had to we had to revisit that. Yeah, that must have been the end of the clip, but that was uh, definitely enough to do uh, to do some more damage. All right, well, just uh, that real quick, need just, to be repeated. Just real quick, there's one more, real quick. I mean, everything that comes out of their mouth is just uh, 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 feelings, but they can't bring thought into it to help control their actions. 
sounds like you're describing men versus women. <laughs> I just I, I want to interrupt this message for an important announcement that did not come from me. Down goes Frazier! Down goes Frazier! Down goes Frazier! Oh, unbelievable. Uh, just having some fun. Now, real quick. I have to apologize to our listeners from for our last show because for the better part of what year are we in? 2017. So the better part of three years, our setup with the way our mics were, we could walk away from our mics. Like if we had to get something in the room or, you know, whatever the case may be, or right. if we had to do something to move ourselves away from the mics. But now with the way our setup is, we're both ha- we both have on headset mics. And our last show, and I'm still getting used to fact that I got I'm wearing my mic because normally the mic was the boom mic was in front of me and so not realizing that the mic is on me I'm walking around (laughs) and I'm trying to unplug uh, the answering machine and when I listen to the show you hear all this noise (laughs) like someone's going into a closet searching for searching through boxes and I didn't realize that I'm doing it while the headset is still on my head now you're to- you're talking, and I don't know if you recall. I told you to just you know continue on with your thoughts because I'm I, I need to do something. I don't know if I texted you that or something because I wanted to go and disconnect the answer machine because it was so loud. Yep, but I didn't take my headset off because the cord is so long. I was able to walk to where the answering machine thing was, and you hear all this background noise, and I'm like, oh my goodness. So I apologize for that. So even as I'm sitting, sitting still at, in front of the studio screen, I have to remind myself that I'm wearing my mic. And so as we talked about way back when, mic etiquette, chewing gum, and you know me, chewing on my pips, P-I-P-P-S. P-I-P-S. So you don't get the luxury anymore of uh, backing away from the mic. <laughs> so with That's that accurate. said, with that said, let's hit hit our topic. Let's do because, it. Uh, what do we got on tap? Well, the first thing I want to say is we're at the thirty minute mark, and so far so good. <laughs> yes, so far so good. I know I'm playing with fire. Um, I wanted to talk this week. We wanted to talk this week about the top ten first trimester struggles. And for those of you who don't know, when we say trimester, we are talking about periods of time within the recovery period. And we cut it up into the the early parts of recovery. We cut it we chopped it up into three trimesters. First, second, and third, kind of mirroring the trimesters that a woman goes through during pregnancy. So CRC Health is the one that came up with this list of the top 10 reasons, top 10 issues, top 10 things, whatever you want to call it, that people struggle with, addicts struggle with in the early stages of recovery. And as we go down, we're going to work our way in reverse 10 to 1. Um, 
And when I read it, I pretty much, you know, kind of agreed with it. You know, I think maybe you can move some diff- some things around to different numbers in terms of uh, – so don't hold us hard to the number of what of where the item is. Um, but it seemed, you know, pretty on target. But what you'll notice or or hear is that some of it is stuff that we've already talked about, some of it in specific shows, and some of it just in general um, in terms of things that people uh, struggle with when it comes to uh, trying to get this recovery thing. Yep. So uh, without further ado, number 10. Um, oh, we're starting from the bottom here, okay. Yeah, starting from the bottom, working our way to uh, quote-unquote number one. Do you know if these were ranked in any particular order? Um, this is their ranking, and I, my hands are in quotes. I didn't disagree with them, but like I said, I think you can look at – as we go through them, you can look at them and say, you know, you can move certain ones around. Um, and I think individuals will move certain ones around because it, the bottom line is if you look at all 10, it's not necessarily – which one is the worst, which one's the easiest, it's that these 10 things are probably the top 10 things in whatever order you want to put them of that people may struggle with, addicts may struggle with early in the recovery process. Now, the one change that I made was narrowing it down, in my opinion, to the first trimester of recovery. Okay. Not that these things will not come up in the other parts of the recovery process because they most certainly will. But what we're talking about is more often than not, people will struggle with these things in the early stages and not more often than not. I don't know if that's the right way to say that as people move and progress through the recovery process, some things will drop off the list. They'll conquer some things and, 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 you know, Learn how to appropriately deal with them, and they won't become issues, and they won't, or they won't remain issues. So they'll progress and move forward. So uh, number ten, you follow me on that, Mr. Producer? Yep. Yep. Okay. Number ten um, was career and financial success, and to me, and you can speak to this for yourself, but for me, when I read that, the way, the way I interpreted that was how we used to always talk about. Um, when people had fears, they had fear of fit. You would people always say a fear of failure and a fear of success. Um, and if you dig even deeper, it was, you know, if you recall, when you were in your addiction, that there arrived a point in your addiction that getting hot, you didn't. You know, different things that occurred in your life became reasons to get high. So positive accomplishments, hands in quotations again, such as getting a promotion at work, getting a raise at work, things like that became the, the method of celebrating that became to, you know, to get high, continue to get high. So it got to a point where it didn't make a difference what was going on in your life, but the the evidence of addiction is that, wow, even when something good happens, getting high is a means of celebrating it. That makes sense. And it's, 
And it's interesting how that goes because if you think back in the very, very early days of the when you started getting high on whatever drug it was, um, before it overtook you or, or before your, your, your get high evolved to the point of addiction status, that you know, it, when it was novel, when it was uh, when it was brand new, when it was you know, wow, and you can you can feel the uh, the the, the mind alteringness of the drug, okay, right. very easily. <clears throat> and you know, I t- I used to tell clients, I said, don't not talk about the days when you associated getting high with fun. Because to me, that wouldn't be real. Because I think for all of us, or most of us, there was a time, maybe, you know, those who started smoking marijuana first, that you associated with, you know, it was fun to, to smoke a little weed and get high and, and, and have some, quote, unquote, fun. I, what comes to my mind is, you know, going to the beach and, you know, and, and smoking a joint and, you know, and having fun. Okay. So it's okay if that was your experience that, you know, the very early days, you know, I had a little fun <laughs> until until the darkness came and the clouds right. came. <laughs> uh, but <clears throat> you went through this period of you got high just to have a little fun. Then you got high to cover up things, you know, sadness, depression, darkness and, and whatnot these negative things, you know, that came to the surface in your life, you know, failure and all, all of the fears and insecurities, inadequacies. Okay. And then you circle back around because now you're getting high for all of those negative reasons that you don't want to face. But if anything good does happen during that time, that's the, that became a reason to continue getting high. I agree with that. It's also kind of cultural, I would add, like you said, uh, promotions at work or success. Um, maybe not necessarily getting high, but, um, you know, maybe like drinking, right? Having a drink, a celebratory toast. And even though that might not necessarily be the extreme, right? Uh, but, you know, it starts with the idea that celebration or, or something good is cause for you know, getting loose a little bit, something mind altering. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you're right because there's a cultural aspect to certain substances. For example, in our society, you know, alcohol is accepted, you know, in all of its forms, whether it's Jack Daniels or some Chardonnay. You know, from either extreme and everything in between, it's accepted. Right. Um, and another reality is that as you know, as we move move along, move along through this life, you know, you you see, you know, marijuana is becoming more and more mainstreamed and accepted. Mm-hmm. Um, it is what it is. Doesn't change anything. I'm just saying. So. But you're right. Absolutely right. Number nine, dating and codependency. Isn't that a big one? That could be up there number two and one <laughs> for some people. 
Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. But, Especially from the calls we get on our show in the X-Files. Right. So codependency, we can't do anything about because we don't have the other person in treatment. Um, dating, we can do something about because, you know, you're not going to – we're going to tell you no. Uh, you, you're new in treatment. You're new in the recovery process. The, the entirety of the focus needs to be on you. All of your mental energy, intellectual energy, emotional energy, physical energy, everything that you can think of, spiritual energy, all has to be dedicated to you. The person trying to grab hold, put their arms around, hug this recovery thing and hold it close to them. So dating is out of the question during that that period where we're trying to get get you locked in, you know what I mean? Get get you get your fingers to get a hold of it. Yep. I know I'm being very graphic, but that's how recovery is. It, I mean, that's, that's you can think it's so it's so slippery for some people that you know you just gotta you know you you can you have this visual of like three people in front of them like push recovery into into their chest and say, no, get you, get this arm, take this arm and just move it right here, hold it right here, take this arm, hold it right there, lock your fingers and just hug it and hold on to for dear life because it is for dear life. So, no, we don't recommend dating early in the recovery process um, because it's all about you. You are the most important person in the world. Number eight, Making mistakes. <clears throat> if I recall, you and I did a sh- uh, an entire show on uh, the 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 wrongheadedness of trying to be perfect in your recovery, and where right. that will get you. So, <clears throat> I think. And I, I just know through my experience, I've been around many people who have tried to or ha- had this attitude about them that they had to be perfect in their recovery. And they, it was very difficult to get inside their, their brain to let them know that you don't have to be perfect. You can strive to, 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 to be the best that you can be, but that doesn't mean that that equals perfection and because you know the the one thing that doesn't work out the one slip the one mistake the one bad decision etc and it sends them in a tailspin because perfection was the only goal and that's the perfection should not be the goal right you're going to make as long as you are a member of the human race i.e you're going to make mistakes um and like we said there is a difference between a mistake and a bad decision a mistake comes from lack of information, and you are forced to make a call, and you may have made the wrong call. You may have went left. You should have went right. Came to a fork in the road. You know, didn't know which way they led, but you, so you, went, you, just, you made a decision. Okay? Turned out to be the wrong one, and you correct yourself, and then boom, go down the right road. A dis- bad decision is when you have information. You're not ignorant to information and facts, and in spite of that, you still make the wrong choice. Very true. So you're going to make mistakes. That's going to happen, but we do want to limit 
the bad decisions when there's especially when there's information available to help you make you know good decisions and then we got to be able to deal with those mistakes you know that we don't fall off the cliff just because we make a mistake or even a bad decision because there are even levels of bad decisions i always say okay at the worst case scenario don't make a a life altering bad decision right you know? right Remember, we used to tell the kids that, you know, just whatever you do, just don't make a life-altering decision, bad decision. Right, exactly. Yeah, you're still going to be a teenager. You're still young. You're still growing up. And, uh, you know, there are levels to it. But like you stated at the beginning of it, we're a part – we're members of the human race. Mistakes will be made. And don't worry. We'll point them out. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. Right. We'll, we'll do that for you. Believe me, you you don't want to even strive, you know, or you don't want to look for perfection being the goal because we'll make sure that you know you're far away from that. <laughs> we'll make sure you know that it's always first first and ten from your ten yard line all the time. All <laughs> right. All right. The next three. I'm sorry, not the next three, but there are three in the the next seven that all fall within what I describe as feelings, okay? And number seven is one of them, guilt and shame. How many people do you know, Mr. Producer, in your years that guilt, and I'm not talking about daytop guilt. I'm not talking about OCG guilt. I'm talking about real-life guilt um, has held people back. They can't move past it. They can't forgive themselves. They can't progress. They're stuck. Yeah, that number is countless. And then, you know, put they put guilt and shame together. But how often has shame, and I include with that embarrassment, um, along with pride and ego, uh, stop people from from asking for help. Mm. Yeah, pride, big one there. Well, I mean, when you're you're out there doing what you do in the addict life, more often than not, you're 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 hurting the people who care about you the most. Those are the people that are the recipients of your uh, thievery. <laughs> Yeah, and and other things addicts do. It's the ones that are close to us, you know. The ones the ones we love are the ones we hurt, you know. Feel it the most. If if addicts if addicts aren't one thing, one thing we aren't is is stupid. And what do I mean by that? I said, well, when we're in our our addiction, most of us harmed people that were close to us. We didn't harm strangers because we didn't want to, you know, we didn't get ourselves in the jackpot. You know, right. We didn't steal <laughs> right. from strangers, you know. We stole from family because we, you know, we knew family wouldn't wouldn't harm us. And I say more often than not, I'm being general, I, but um, if you don't learn at some point during while, while you are engaged in the recovery process to to successfully and progressively deal with 
maybe flip those around progressively and then ultimately successfully deal with guilt and shame, embarrassment, and all of those, those, those feelings um, so that you can move forward with whatever is the root causes of those things. And believe me, if, if one of the root causes is the fact that you became a drug addict, you better get over that one very quickly. <laughs> right. So I'm not even talking about that because we, if you can't get over that one, we'll, we will help you get over that one very quickly. But we know because there are I'm certain more, way more you know, deeper issues that need your energy and attention than the fact that, oh, my God, I became a drug addict. And I can't get over myself. Now, number six, number six. That Mr. was Producer. interesting. Number six yes. was interesting to me when I, when I read that. Very I was reading ahead. Yeah. So Insomnia. I was reading their little description, their little description. But, yeah, I, I didn't expect to see it, at least you could say. Although I do know one, a lot of clients in our, in our uh, facility do struggle with that or deal with that. That's why I found it interesting. And for this one, I'm actually going to read what they wrote. <clears throat> Difficulty sleeping is common in early recovery. That's true. I, I experienced that myself and may contribute to relapse. Now, I will say my difficulty sleeping didn't last long because after a period of time, I slept like I'd never slept in six years. <laughs> right. Part of the reason I found it difficult to get up at six o'clock in the morning, six o'clock wake up because I was sleeping yeah. like a baby. Absolutely. Um. And may contribute to relapse. The best non quote unquote non medication approaches to a good night's sleep include exercise. Now this is not written there, but what we would say, of course, is and what we learned and what's proven true is nothing. If if you are you know coming into coming into the recovery process and having difficulty sleeping, boy, it is. There's, there's nothing like a cure for that but working. Some serious manual labor. And I do have to give a nod, Mr. Producer, to our, our, our New York brethren and, 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 and our New York treatment centers because they certainly had the acreage, the acreage to uh, put people to work. And especially You're right. landscaping, <laughs> you know, and uh, and if you worked in the kitchen washing those big heavy pots to feed 250 people, so by the time your head hit the pillow, you might have a few a little bit of energy for some some room talk, but after a while you just fall asleep because you're just so dog tired. Which was the goal to get you dog tired so that you would sleep. Um. So the best non-medication approaches to a good night's sleep include exercise. We had work. Getting a calm, restful sleep environment. Hmm. Not sure how possible that is when you're sharing a room with five people or four <laughs> other people. Right. And they recommend journaling any thoughts that keep you up at night. And so my experience, and this is only my experience, is that when you're in a room with others, that to me that's helpful in mitigating uh, Insomnia, 
Because, you know, people are different. Some people like to, you know, like to stay up, can stay up and talk. Even if they're physically tired, they can stay up and talk. Or if something is on the mind, you know, that kind of uh, surpasses physical tiredness. You know what I mean? When you got something on the brain, you know, you could be physically tired, but you just can't sleep because it's on the, you got something's on your mind. And until you're able to, you know, purge it, talking about it or what have you, you know, you might not sleep. So that's what they said about insomnia, and I will tend to agree. But I would have never thought about that one. I don't know about you. I wouldn't have thought about that. I No, I most certainly would not have. That's why I found it to be that uh, very interesting that that was the case. Yep. Now, number five. You and I usually do an annual show on this. Holidays and special occasions That's right And I believe we call that triggers And we always do that show around the holiday season It's coming but, um, up Yep And it Kind of ties into what we were saying before About We do know that Holidays are a major trigger For, for people in recovery For different reasons You know for some um, there's a loneliness to the holidays or a remembrance of, of feeling lonely around the holiday times, even if you're not lonely at this moment in time. Um, there's a remembrance of what holidays were like during the addiction experience. And so person who was early in their recovery and, 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 experiences during that time a major holiday passing by and and for us we kind of kind of shift more towards the year and holidays the thanksgiving christmas new years around that time not to say that you know uh easter and memorial day and independence day don't trigger people also because people you know have done do things on those holidays also that right. can bring up and tr- you know issues and trigger them etc um but I think more often than not, you know, those end of year holidays that are kind of geared more along the family, you know, around family, being with loved ones, et cetera, um, bring up more things for people. And so if you're, if you, you know, if you just walked in the door and next thing you know, three weeks around the corner is Thanksgiving, you know, then a month away is Christmas. You know, you got to be locked. You know, you got your feet's got to be locked onto that ground to 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 hang in through there. And I guess it was a blessing in disguise. Again, this is just my own personal experience that the and and of course we also strive to do this here. Is but my experience in daytop it was that they went so much over the top to make the holiday experience with the family so uh, welcoming and warm that you weren't even thinking about your own family. It's true. You weren't thinking about you, and you weren't thinking about them because you were so wrapped up into the moment and enjoying it with your peers and your family, your adopted daytop family that, you know, and that can only happen when, when A, the family does its job, you know what we mean by that. And B, 
you are so in the throes of your treatment. You're so into it that you just the family that you're with is that is what really dominates you. Not that you don't think about your blood family outside. Not that you don't think about them, but you are it just being in the moment with the family that you're with right now and enjoying that. And unlike being up at Swan Lake, so to speak, where there well, in theory, actually there was. There was a window you could sit in and see the road and see car goes by every hour. But for argument's sake, there was no, there's no window to sit in and watch traffic go by. Whereas where we are out here, a little bit more in Urbanville, uh, you know, maybe not so much at the residential facility. We're a little bit down by the, uh, what is it called, conservation what do they call that area, Mr. Uh, producer? The at, the, at the back of our, at the back of our facility, the wildlife refuge. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> wildlife conservation. Yeah, so we're we're kind of buried back there, so there's really not a lot of tra- no traffic really. But so, um, but in Redwood City, where the adolescent facility was and where the recovery residence is now, you know, you could sit in the lift and just watch traffic go by all day because it's right on the main street. Yep. And so we would we would look out for people that were doing that because if you're doing that, you're not involved in your treatment. Your your mind is outside and you and you're just you know, you're just noticing the clock tick and you you're just elsewhere. You're not here. Right, you're drifting. Yeah, you're not right. you're not present, right? Okay. Number 4, joy and happiness. This ties back One- into number 10. And one thing I was going to uh, like add to holidays and special occasions, although you did you did touch on it, but it's not written in there like explicitly. Um, it looks like the main focus of why they wrote that is the drinking the that people do to celebrate holidays. The traditions, just, yes. Yeah, I think just family in general. You know, uh, to be honest. You know, most families get together annually. So let's say there was a moment in your life where. Uh, you know, you weren't around for, like you said, you know, many people might be in treatment, right, for uh, for the holidays. And so maybe you missed a family gathering and just maybe, you know, and it ties into shame and guilt. Obviously, there's a theme. All of these are going to tie into each other in mm-hmm. some way. But just the idea that you're going to have to answer some questions or you might feel a certain way about having missed a holiday. And you know that the family probably spoke about where you were at or why you missed that holiday and um uh, you know, that in and of itself might be triggering because it might, you know, kick up, you know, kind of negative self-thinking and things of that nature. Yep. Uh, I figured that they might have mentioned that in the description box, but I noticed the the primary focus for them was the uh, uh, the drinking. But mm-hmm. anywho, moving right along. Joy and happiness. So it, it just count, counterbalances to number 10. Um as we, that we were talking about, that positive emotions can be just as much a trigger as negative emotions. Um, and sometimes when you are early in that recovery period and something, you know, something that brings you great joy and happiness or what have you, um, 
the the natural euphoria almost gives you a false sense of security that uh, you know what wow I'm 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 okay now and and things are good and I'm feeling good um what does this mean am I ready does, it, does this mean I'm ready now and we'll 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 be sure to make sure to have the big you know 25 foot sign that says no <laughs> ready for you Number three. Number three. See, I could move number three to actually to number no, two. Number one. Oh, okay. Or and and well, I I think number one. We'll get to number one, but I think number one. I saw number one. I said, you know what? I got I I got to give it to him. So we'll get there. But number three, boredom and loneliness. And again, this could be anywhere in the top three. To be honest. Um, so many people, I mean, what have we said, you know, to us when we've, we've done the show top two reasons why, uh, people relapse relationships and inability to deal with boredom. So this is right around where it should be. Um, if you, and sometimes I think people don't realize that when, when we talk about your, your ability to deal with boredom, that it's just as bad to think that you have to structure every minute of every day. That's not what that's not what recovery is about. Yes, there should be some structure to your life, and that's the reason why we have such a we we try and start that process of mimicking structure. Because you know when we're out there doing what we do, we have no structure. We're doing we're doing whatever the hell we want to do. When we right. want to do it. So structure kind of brings everything back into some semblance of order. And when you are progressing through your recovery process and, you know, you start working again and, you know, you're getting back involved with your family, you have to be okay with doing nothing and just being bored and, and being okay with that. I'm not saying that you know, 16 hours out of every day, you're, you, you are to be doing nothing. No, that's counterproductive. You know what they say about idle hands. And I apologize for, for the noise my seat's making. Can you hear my seat, Mr. Producer? Yeah, a little bit, but it's, uh, okay. it's all part of the process. Okay. Well, it is, it is a 17-year-old chair, okay? So it's a, it's a battle-tested chair. Yeah, I refuse to give in and get a new one. Um, so, but people's inability to deal with boredom can very quickly, very quickly put them in, in danger. And then obviously, you know, um, loneliness, uh, especially if loneliness, you know, you know, dealing with that, and, and that was like a contributing feeling you know, dominant in your life that you had to deal with uh, as a part of your recovery process. And if you have not uh, dealt with that and developed sufficient coping mechanisms to, to, to address that and have a game plan in place to address that and that resurfaces, again, that cliff is going to be there. So I don't think anyone will argue about boredom and loneliness being number three. 
No, it's up there rightfully so. I'll excuse myself from number three because uh, I'm a loner. I love, you know. <laughs> yeah, the meditation time, late night meditation uh, time. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> Peace and quiet. Um, that's more. That's that has more to do with my zodiac sign than anything else, by the way. But we won't get into that in this show. Number two, anger. Sadness and irritability. Obviously, we have done a show or two on anger and how, out of all of the feelings, okay, the one that shows itself the most is anger. However, that is the 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 one that we want to speak to the least. Meaning, we who are trying to help our fellow brethren, and that's male or female, you know, get this recovery process, we're helping through this recovery process. The feeling that we want to speak to the least is anger because the one they listed next to that, sadness, and I'll put with sadness, you know, hurt, pain, etc. You know, that's the one we want to speak to the most. Because that's where the rubber meets the road for most people. That's what's behind when you get to start digging and you get the shovel out and you start getting to the root of what's behind the facade of the anger to keep you away, the wounded animal, anger, so that you won't, I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to talk about it. I want to keep it wrapped up all in me. So we got to just, we got to fight our way through that anger. And um, get to the core feelings. And we believe that to be the second one they list, the sadness. Now, I got a bone, Mr. Producer, to pick with irritability. Okay. They kind of just threw that in there. Yes. I'm not a fan of irritability for a couple of reasons. Not one, the least of which is that I hear that so much in the treatment programs, I'm just sick and tired of hearing about irritability. Okay. I'm irritated. Enough. I'm irritated. I'm irritated. I'm irritated. I'm okay. We get it. I want to hear some names of other feelings. I'm anger and irrit. I'm angry and I'm irritated. I want what's in between. That's the meat and potatoes. Now, one thing they did write about under this number two, anger, sadness, and irritability, they touched very briefly on brain damage and what impact that may have on, I'm guessing, because they didn't really delve into it deeply, and so I'm just trying to infer from them mentioning it, long-term drug alcohol abuse damages the brain and other systems of the body. 
Okay, and are they saying that that somehow has some kind of you know effect on a person's either ability or inability to deal with these emotions here? I don't know. No studies have come out yet, so I'm not even sure why they put that in there. Okay. I just find it interesting that they mentioned it. Just one sentence. Yeah. And yeah, it's I the sentence like it is was, sitting it by itself. Yeah, 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 it was an afterthought. tied to it. Just kind of thrown in there. Yeah, so... All right, Mr. Producer, I'll give you the honors of saying what number one is. Uh, you know what's funny about number one, and obviously we're about to get into it, but um, it just it reminds me of your ele- elevator analogy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but this need not have a description with it. It's pretty self-explanatory. The big number one, being around others who use. Bottom line, I think that speaks into uh, speaks to like we've mentioned environment being a predictor in relapse, um, and obviously old or familiar environment also, um, you know, directly correlates with being around others who use because you most likely hung out with uh, folks who use, so those areas will probably carry some of those same characters still. Uh, but that is the grand finale. That's the one that they hit us with. Well, we have evidence to support that because all we have to do is look at what happens. As I was in our last show about uh, what the heck is going on here, and <laughs> right. what we what we were beefing about was the uh, the infiltration of. Well, I mean, what happens when, you know, contraband of any kind, whatever it is, infiltrates the the treatment environment and breaks the sanctity of the environment? And we see that when that happens, when you introduce the drugs into in, into, into into the environment where people are, you know, very early in their recovery. And this is what this is about. This list is still speaking about people who are in the first trimester, month right. one, month two, month three that if you're going to put drugs around them, they're going to use. So it's not just being around, not, not just people, but if the thing, you know, so the whole noun, people, places, and things, right, um, can, will impact or have an impact or potential impact on somebody relapsing. So that's, you know, why we get upset when the environment is uh, infiltrated because everybody's gets put in danger, especially now um, with the way, you know, treatment is structured. And so we're kind of hypersensitive to that. But people who are in outpatient programs, and, and we used to see this a lot um, with Daytop and with the outreaches. Um, so when there weren't in the, in the late 80s and early 90s, this was on the the crack epidemic hit New York in the early early to mid eighties. Um, programs started getting flooded with those you know crack addicts in need of help in the latter part of the you know mid 
eighties, late eighties, early nineties, into the mid nineties, you know, ninety four, ninety five, ninety six, called right around there. Yeah. Um, to be honest, there's like there's like a ten year period because out here, crack kind of waned off, heroin kind of waned off, and methamphetamine came on the scene and took over. Strong, and I kept yeah. on I kept on asking my, 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 my folks back there, you know, what are you seeing with meth? And they were like, you know, nothing. You know, it, it was still heroin, you know, the usual suspects back there, heroin, crack, alcohol, et cetera, cocaine, et cetera. But so slowly but surely, you know, meth is you know, all over the place now. But um <clears throat> I'm going to read, to close us out, what they wrote. Being around friends, family, or coworkers who use drugs or alcohol can be difficult in early recovery. We agree. Certain sights, sounds, and smells can trigger drug cravings and make it difficult to remain abstinent. We agree. Especially if you're – this is me talking now – outside the realms of the residential environment. So if you're just an outpatient treatment – you know, you come, receive treatment, and you go home back to the same environment. It's very difficult because you're going to be around the same sights, sounds, and smells. So, to protect yourself from temptation, remove all drugs and alcohol from your home and ask others who live with you or visit frequently to do the same. That's not real. While you may be able to spend time with old friends, it is also beneficial to make new friends at 12-step meetings or get involved in new activities or hobbies where you can meet sober friends. And we do agree with all of that. We, we do put a caveat on the old friend things such as, you know, there's, we believe that there's, there has to be a time of, you know, there was a saying in treatment about time and distance doesn't work. And that's a truism. It doesn't. However, Time and distance away from old friends, especially old friends who were negative, okay, is necessary until you can build up what is required for you to have proper boundaries that are in support of your recovery and then the ability to enforce those boundaries when you reconnect with those old friends. In whatever way the reconnection happens, whether it's by chance or by purpose, Okay. In my humble opinion, of course. <laughs> oh, right, right. Yeah, yeah. I uh, When I was reading, through, I mean, it's obvious, right? Uh, some of the other ones you could argue their place on the list, and this one almost goes without saying. Um, but like you said, um, you know, and, and research backs it up, and we've spoken to it on other shows. As it pertains to, like I mentioned at the beginning, old environment, environments being big predictors of relapse. And, um, you know, one of the main associations with environment is just who you hung with, who who you grew up with, who you were using with. And um, that, that's one of the main kind of connections or correlations with environment, uh, people who use. Now, uh, when I first read how they titled it, right, being around others who use 
and this is just where my mind went, but the first thing that came to me was others that you know or that you used to use with. Um, I didn't really, and I can see it now, the more I think about it, the separation between it doesn't necessarily need to be, um, you know, limited to people that you actually used with, but just being around other people who use generally speaking, um, being, you know, maybe at a concert or at events. And this kind of speaks to your elevator analogy, right? Like you should be able to, to handle that, you know, out in the real world because you're not going to be able to avoid it. Um, inevitably you're going to come across it, but I definitely thought, uh, the people that you actually used to use with old friends of yours was the first thing that came into mind, but you know, this could speak to a, a, a much broader idea, just being around people who use in general. I think our philosophy is we want to build the person up in recovery to the point that they can survive no matter what environment they have to return to, they find themselves in, et cetera. We want, yeah. we want you to be so strong in your recovery that environment doesn't matter because the reality is some people are not going to be able to, to you know, change their environment. They, they, they move back to wherever they're from, wherever their family is, and it may not be the best environment conducive to – like if you had the ideals, right? But right. We, we, I always stress we, we don't counsel to the ideals. We counsel to the reality. And if the right. reality is this person is going back to this environment, then let's get to work on preparing them to be able to cope with that environment and survive that environment and be strong. Yeah, absolutely. And that's how I would counsel them. So, And that includes you may find yourself around other people who use, and you have to be able to uh, enforce your boundaries, and that's that. All right, sir, we are – 15, almost 15 minutes or over 15 minutes past the top of the hour. So we went long on this one, probably because we went long on our front end, but that's okay. Thank you, Blog Talk, once again. <laughs> <laughs> right? Hey, well, we still haven't dropped off. I mean, we got about, uh, you know, uh, four, you know, whatever, a uh, little over half a show to go or a little less than half a show to go, but we'll, uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. I'm knocking but on particle was- board. That's right. <laughs> it was a topic worth covering in detail, though. A lot of good information, and this is uh, important for people to hear who are first in recovery. That, oh wow, I'm, you know, if you can relate or you're hearing this, so you feel one of those things, or you've dealt with one of those things, you're not alone. Obviously, it's made a list that was compiled of, you know, I'm sure many questions and many years of experience. So, yep. All right. Well, we are going to take a quick music break. We do have line waiting for. Every sport time segment, so we will get to the call on the other side. Uh, we do appreciate your patience. Enjoy the little song, and we will get to our second segment coming up next. Yeah. 
Coming up next is OCG Radio's Recovery Support Time, where our hosts provide support and guidance for your recovery-related questions and issues. 
Recovery Support Time, where it's our time to help you. Producer, get it out yourself. I am going to catch you off guard one of these days. <laughs> well, as the late Joe Williams would say, why don't you grow up? <laughs> <laughs> that does sound like something he would say, just like that. <laughs> um,. Welcome back to Roadshow Recovery. 646-564-9909 is the number. Let's take some calls first before we hit to the X-Files. Okay, we're going unscreened. Let's see. People have been holding a while. So let's go first here. Hi, welcome to the show. Can we have your first name, please, and your hometown? It's uh, Donnie from Watts. Hey, how you doing? How's it going? Good. So, uh, yeah, I had a question. Uh, wonder if you could help me out with it. Uh, okay. So, I got a, uh, I got a, re- I have a resentment towards a, a family member of mine, and mm-hmm. uh, and that person also got a resentment towards me. You feel me? And uh, mm-hmm. and we trying to be living. A, Living amendments for ourselves, both of us. Um, but that past always be creeping up and and causing problems. And you know, I'm willing. I'm willing. I'm willing to be uncomfortable in an uncomfortable situation, or comfortable in an uncomfortable situation, or vice versa. If you know, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And uh, but. It's almost to the point where my my boundaries are, are are hell high as it is, and they're even thicker walls with this certain person. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And um, and so I don't know if 
I feel like I'm kind of getting pushed into working this thing out overnight. Just, just you know what I mean? When it's been going on for so long, and I don't, I feel like I I need to, but is it the right time? Is my question. So when you ask that question to yourself, what answer do you come up with? Uh, man, I can't answer that. Okay, straight. it's both. Right. It's okay. both. No, 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 nope. When I asked you that question. Your initial response was a physical one. Did you catch that? Yes, I did. You said, <sighs> that was your gut talking. Yep. And that's, and that's okay. Yeah. If you're not ready and the time isn't right, you there's more you know work that you have to do just with you before you're ready to do work with this relationship that's fine and um you know i'm i'm practicing uh i tend to be pretty good at you know my approach with people and family members and you know trying to put the past in the past um this person is is a therapist as as a you know profession and um sometimes that person tries to utilize that on on me and um it's just we we can work on it okay but if something gets sparked up from the touchy subjects that didn't happen in the past you know what i mean then that's when the the voices start to rise and and it starts to you know just get not in the right place yeah belly's belly's getting in an uproar <clears throat> yeah well and i need to hold it i need to hold it real tight on this okay. one so uh i can tell you what my wife said to me to help you with that uh therapist stuff Shoot. So, <clears throat> Mr. Producer, are you listening? Because I know, I, I know you, I know you've been there. I certainly am. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, let's see. How can I say this uh, and and keep myself at the same time out of a jackpot? You don't have to use these words exactly. But I'm going to try and give it to you as raw as she said it <laughs> to get the message across. Uh, but very, very, very early in our marriage, and I was a very young counselor in the profession, and uh, she made it very clear in, very, in, in unmistakable clarity. Don't try that day top shit on me. <laughs> and I, I know she cuts my hair. She tells me all about it. <laughs> okay, good. All right, then. So it's the same mentality when you're in that type of a situation with someone who's in that profession and there's a personal relationship and et cetera, et cetera, that it's 
it's unfair for someone to use that in a in a in a way to gain an advantage, you know, especially if there's difficulty in the relationship. And it requires strength. So for example, on her side, strength and saying, Hey, no, you know, I'm not going for that. And you, same thing, strength on your side, recognize when that may ha- be happening and, like you said, enforcing your boundaries. But okay, um, big, just big picture, though, just in the interest of time, big picture, okay? Ultimately, the details of, of, of what the struggle is are unimportant, okay? What becomes important is what you feel and what you think. And ultimately, if you if you feel and you think that the time is not right for me to dig into the issues that are plaguing this relationship, okay, then the time is not right. Especially if there is no uh, if there's no need for the urgency. See, parent to child husband to wife, wife to husband, there's urgency to that. You know, they got to get it together in order to make it work. This and is unless my mother. It's, one- it's my mother. Oh, well, then, there you go. <laughs> and There you go. And this, and this did happen, you know. In Mr. The, one second, uh, one second. Mr. Producer, that's called dropping a hand grenade into the discussion. <laughs> yeah, it's a little more than a hand grenade. That's a that's a hydrogen yeah, that's a nuke bomb right, right there. there. Yeah, yeah, it's a nuke. Okay. So, um, with the same rule apply, because you yeah. are uh, you're an adult. If you were a child, i.e., you know, a minor, I would advise you very differently. But because you're an adult, the same rules apply, even if it is your mother. The only thing I would say, however, is at all times, and, and I think you kind of spoke to this a little bit when you said about keeping your, you know, keeping your belly, holding your belly and all that stuff, because you always want to be respectful. You always want to be dignified, even if your belly's in an uproar, especially when it has to do, you know, you're dealing with your mother. Of course, totally understand it. Because if, um, if Roach on Recovery finds out that you've disrespected your mother, then we're going to have to, you know, line you up and, you know, give you a you know, haircut and all that stuff. And we don't want to do that on the air. We don't want to, you know, you know what I'm saying? We want to be nice. We don't well, want to spank was, you on the air for being disrespectful to your moms. It was actually the other way around. I, I, I told her, you know, cause I choose not to share with her my, you know, certain mm-hmm. things. And she, mm-hmm. she, um, kind of picks at picks at me, so I I try to hold it in. Sometimes it, it just comes out it, as you don't know me, you haven't been there, and and whatnot. But um, let me let me ask you a question. How old are you? Twenty eight. Okay. I'm gonna wrap this up. You are free to call back at our next at our next show, and we'll talk some more. But this is what I'm gonna say to you in closing. I don't want you to take this the wrong way. I want you to hear it. We're going to end the call, and I want you to reflect on this, okay? We got a deal? Mm, not really, but do I okay. have a choice? 
Well, it's a, all right. One side deal. Can I can I, okay. can I uh, say one sentence after it, and then we got a deal? I'll give you one sentence. Thank you. Your mother is always going to be your mother. Your mother is always going to be your mother. But the one thing you, sir, grown adult, male, want to make sure is that you don't want to take mommy issues into a relationship. Did you hear me? Yes, I did. Okay. And that's that's of 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 course it is, of course of course you're right on that. Okay. Um, and when I use the term mommy, I'm saying that with all due respect. Yeah, yeah. We all of have course. we all because we all have mommies. Okay. Um. The, now your last sentence. Make it good. Sta- staff's telling me to hold on, and but. I feel like my mom's pushing me towards it. And gut feeling is just not wanting to deal with it. That's it. Okay. Which is unrealistic, I know. I have to deal with it. She's my mom. Right. right. I just want I just want some direction, you know? That's all. Somewhere to go. Somewhere to lean to. Your, the direction that we're giving you is that you take more time to source this out. So put it this way. The next time when we talk, I want you to be able to articulate to me and, and name how you feel about the relationship and the issues, whatever they may be, between you and your mother. Boom, 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 boom. This okay. is what I feel I'll, about the relationship with my mother. Boom, 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 boom. I'll come out with what I feel comfortable coming out with. Yeah. Okay. I'll I'll, right. I'll try to do that. All right. All right. You, you ready calling. for your next caller? Yes, sir. Thank you. All right, OG. I'm out. All right. Yeah, the, the, that's, like that's, I said, a hand grenade mid-conversation. <laughs> Yes, indeed. That would have been good information at the outset, but we'll deal with that. Yep. But that advice I gave him, I've always given to many males in treatment. Um, That's the worst thing. And, and of course, it works both ways. You could tell a female, you know, you can't have any daddy issues because – it's a recipe for disaster. It works both ways. You know, a, a man, right. a male can't take mommy issues, you know. Um, and I think ultimately, honestly, a, a, a human being can't take uh, mommy or daddy issues into a relationship um, that they have not resolved. You know, the That's issues true. can exist, but you had to have – they have to be in a healthy place with them. You know what I'm saying? Completely agree. Because obviously there's people that don't, for whatever reason, good, bad, or ugly, speak to their parents or whatever. But you have to be in a healthy place with it. I guess is what I'm saying. All right, let's go to 
our next caller. Thank you for holding a long time. Can we have your first name and hometown, please? Daniel from Newark. Hi, Daniel. How can we help you? Well, my question was, um, so my question was, uh, how can I follow through with my recovery while I am struggling, when I am struggling? Okay. There's a saying. It's on the tip of my tongue. Oh, there. Uh, no, okay, I don't remember because we did a we did a whole show on this. The struggle is real. <laughs> yes, it is. The struggle is real. So your question, the way you framed it, you said, "How can I?" And correct me if I'm using the wrong word. Did you say continue with my recovery when I'm struggling? Follow through. Follow through with my recovery okay. when I'm struggling. How are you how are you not following through with your recovery? Well, I mean, while me being in treatment, I feel like uh, there's not one day that I go out that I go without uh not wanting to be here. Um I don't know, I feel like well, where I'm at in treatment is I feel like I'm doing kind of good and the people that I'm around is a good support system for myself. And, you know, they're always giving me good help, but the thing for myself is I can't apply it. So it's kind of making it a struggle for me because these people, as hard as they try to help me, and I just don't accept what they're trying to tell me. And why is that? Uh, I think, well, I've talked to my counselor, and he has said that I have a hard time uh, accepting directives and that I'm hard-headed. Like I just don't want to listen to what other people have to say. When it's true. So that which leads to the next logical question. So what are you going to do about that? What I what I believe I need to start doing about it is to start applying myself in my recovery, or I will fall back down that path where it will cause me to relapse again. Okay, that is a well crafted and stated response. What was missing from that was, however, that I'm also going to start taking into consideration what other people say. Yeah. It's very important to be able to hear other people and what their opinion is of you, of the issues that you present to them that they see from their perspective because remember others see us differently than we see ourselves and so we have to be open to what others see because sometimes we can't see that yeah. and in, in, in a perfect world they say you know you're the people who love you are going to tell you the truth, whether it's good, bad, or ugly. And they only do that because they love you. And so we try and artificially replicate that by having your peers and others tell you the truth from where they sit about you and hope that you can reach a point that you can take some of it in. 
there's an old expression that we have, if it doesn't apply, let it fly. So you take what you think you can use, what's helpful, what you don't think is helpful, you just let it go, you know, just put it over there to the side. But you don't close everything out. Because if we, if we ourselves knew all the answers, we wouldn't find ourselves in this position. Yeah, so that, that's, that's just one question that I had. You know, I'm okay. I don't know why. It, it's always hard for me to uh, try to, uh, how can I say it? Like, I don't know, basically I, I struggle in recovery for my first time. Like, this is your first time? Yeah, this is my first time in adult treatment. Okay. How old are you? 23. Okay, so you're young. Okay. That works against you, by the way. You know that, right? Yeah. Youth works against you. I'm invincible. I'm young. I got all these old people in here. So you have to be careful. I was the same age that you are when I went into recovery, when I went into treatment. Same exact age. So the last thing that you want is to be 33 and looking back and still be dealing with substance use issues and looking back and saying, damn, I had an opportunity when I was 23 to get on this recovery path and here I am 10 years later and I'm still you know trying to get this recovery thing you don't want that talk to people who talk to people who've been around the block a couple of times and they'll tell you you know that it's not fun having to deal with you know having blown an opportunity when I was 10 years younger 20 years younger 30 years younger I was told that by someone last night. Yep. It's like, like man, it's, it's like I really have an opportunity to get my stuff straight now before it gets too late. So That's right. I'm trying my best to take advantage of the time that I get in recovery than maybe when I'm, like you said, 33 years old. Okay. So try and uh, take, a little, take a little bit in from your peers, okay? All right. Thank you, sir. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. How are we doing on time, Mr. Producer? Uh, we're good. We got about six minutes. All right. Let's go to Brett from Bakersfield. Brett, welcome to the show. Hey, how you doing? Good. How can we so, help you? Uh, uh, my question was, when I relapse, what can I do to stop beating myself up? Why do you insist on beating yourself up? Um, because I feel like it was hard work and a lot of dedication put in into my clean months that I had. Okay, and all that is true. Let's say that. Let's say that all that is true. Why Why would you then beat yourself up? Uh, because I take my recovery real serious. Okay. I want you to see if you can look at it this way. 
you say you put in a lot of time, a lot of effort into my into your recovery. Mm-hmm. And one day you make a bad decision to use so you relapse. Right? Yeah. In your eyes, does all the work that you put in previously just automatically now mean nothing? Um, basically, to me, yeah, I think so. Okay. Well, that's bad thinking because that's mm-hmm. not true. Because all the work you put in prior to that incident will help you understand and analyze that incident how did I get there? Why did I decide to do that? What contributed to me making that decision? And what can I do differently if I want to do different? Mm-hmm. When, I'm, when I'm faced with the same situation, the same feelings, you know, whatever happened, you analyze the incident. What happened? And when you get that answer and you know when you can say what happened, okay, all of that work and effort you did helps you be able to do that. Right. So it's not wasted time, wasted effort. No, not at all. We look at it. We examine it. We analyze it. We turn it upside down. Okay, we got it now. We can see what happened. Where do we need to make some tweaks and corrections, et cetera? We do that, and we go right right back out there and try it again. Yeah. When I say try it again, I don't mean the drug thing. I mean the recovery thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, wanted to clar- course, uh... just wanted to clarify that. <laughs> yeah. All right. So you get, I'll give you 24 hours, 48 hours max to beat yourself up, get it out of your system. After that, you got to get back to work. Right. Back to, and yeah. back to focus. Okay? Mm-hmm. All right, sir. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. How are we on time, sir? Uh, We're good. We have about two and a half minutes. If you want to give any final thoughts. So I'm not a big fan, as you know, of people beating themselves up when they make a bad decision. That results yeah, in their you relapse. Have like a, you have like a 48-hour rule or 24-hour rule or something like that? 24, 48 hours tops, yes. And yeah. the reason I'm not a big fan is because, you know, I, I believe that, okay, I, I'll, 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 I'll give in and allow 24 and 48 hours for you to feel, feel bad and feel sorry for yourself and all that good stuff, okay? But after that, it's about we got to get back to work. We got to get some answers. We got to figure out what happened so that we can prevent it from happening again. And there's not a lot of time. Time's a wasting. So, you know, every, every bit of time you're spending feeling bad about yourself and sorry for yourself is time that can be spent digging into what transpired. That's right. And, get, That's and gaining right. an understanding of it so that. When it, when you, so you can see this thing coming down the road a mile away this time rather than having it 
you sit pulling up right next on the highway and, the, and you look to your left and you see it and all of a sudden and now you're not sure what you're doing. No, that's not what we want. We want you to be able to see it. Scope it out and have your plan ready. Very true. But I have become kinder and gentler. <laughs> With the delivery of that thinking? No, just, you know, over the years. <laughs> right, right. Stretching right. it to 24 to 48 hours to, you know, all right, let's get moving already. You know what I mean? Yeah, sure. <laughs> of course. I want to get, I want to get to work now. I want to get into it. What happened? I'm eager to find out what went wrong. But, you know, we're a kinder, gentler folk now. So we'll give a little bit of time for you to feel bad, feel bad and feel sorry for yourself. That's right. I'll sit on the side and just shake my head. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well that's good. You know, hey, it's one thing at least to okay, I, I won't say anything. I'll just allow it before I dig in. Yeah. Perfect. I'll keep my right. disgust to myself. There you go. Uh I know you, you got a habit of cutting me off, so your final thought, you got ten seconds. I'm good. I'm good. Our show, Beautiful. nothing happened so far. Nothing happened. So That's good. right. Good. Thanks, God. So, beautiful. Uh, we do want to give a shout-out to everybody who called to uh, participate in the Recovery Support Time segment. We thank you for your ongoing participation, part of why we do the show and what makes us happen. And then everyone who called in just to let What the hell's going on out here? Oh, perfect. Or our uh, supporters who listen through the podcast, we uh, we appreciate it. And uh, you guys are what make the show. We wish everybody a productive couple of weeks, fun couple of weekends. And when we catch you guys on the other side, the 49ers will be 1-0 and the Cowboys, Jets, and Giants will be 0-1.
our show for this evening thank you for listening be sure to listen to our next broadcast tuesday at 4 p.m pacific standard time on blogtalkradio.com forward slash ocg radio like us friend us and follow us on facebook at facebook.com forward slash ocg ca and on twitter at ocg ca you can listen to podcasts of all our shows on iTunes under Roach on Recovery or on our Blog Talk Radio homepage. This has been a presentation of OCG Recovery Radio. Someday somebody's gonna make you wanna turn around and say goodbye.